The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began looking at Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 12 through 16. We read there about the Word of God that is quick and powerful. And we began to see that this word of God that's talked about is not the written word or the preached word, but the living word. Join with us today as we conclude this sermon entitled, The Word of God. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
was as, as jaded and cynical and angry as anybody else was that was mocking him that day. Both thieves were in the same category. Nothing that was said, nothing that they read, nothing that they saw made any difference, but all, all of a sudden, one of them stopped casting the same mocking in his teeth because he'd been pierced through the heart, you see. He'd been pierced through. The living word had pierced through to him. The written word has no ability to pierce or to pierce through. Now, now let me just stop here and give you this little caveat, this little disclaimer. Uh, somebody might ask, well, preacher, it says piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. What is that talking about exactly? Well, the answer to that is I don't know exactly what that's talking about. <laughs> Some say that the writer is speaking here of the soul, uh, or of regeneration, rather, that, that, that the living word, the word of God, divides between the natural, unregenerate soul and the renewed and regenerate spirit. And maybe that's true. I, I, I can see that. I don't have any problem with that. In fact, I tend, have tended most of my life to lean towards that. He's able to, to divide um, asunder uh, the soul and the spirit. Even a doctor can't do that. Others say that maybe he's speaking here of the soul as the lower impulses, the, uh, the affections, the lust of the flesh, that sort of thing. And the spirit is the higher faculties, the, the mental faculties, the understanding and the mind. You know, whatever is meant, okay, whatever is meant here, uh, whichever one you, you pick, whichever one you lean towards, whatever it means, it means that the living word can reach even the secret and hidden things of the heart. He can reach in places that the preacher can't. He can reach in places that the doctor can't. You know, I, I'm sure that doctors are able to, uh, to divide, uh, to some extent, the bone and the marrow, because they do marrow transplants, but I, I'm pretty certain there's no doctor that can get it exactly right, can divide it exactly apart. Oh, but our living word can. You see, think about it. The soul and the spirit are invisible. The joints and the marrow are covered up. But so sharp and penetrating is this living word, this divine living word, that it can reach even the most secret and hidden things of men. 
That's not, this, this scripture's dead words on a page. I love, I love the scripture. Don't get me wrong, I'm not putting down the Bible. It's one of the greatest gifts God's ever given to, to his regenerate children. But it's dead words on a page. It can't pierce anything, you see. Another reason that I believe that this is the living word, notice what it says about it. It says in the latter part of verse 12 that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, this word here doesn't discern anything. That means it knows. It, it's got it figured out. This has nothing. This word here is, is a tool in the hands of a preacher or a person in the pew. And how many people do we know that take it and twist it, take it and turn it for their own uses, take it and use it as a way of making money, take it and use it for profit, use it for a perverted purpose of whatever it may be. But, you know, I could take this word up here and I could twist it and turn it in any which way that would make me look the best or benefit me the most, okay? It can't tell what my intent is. It doesn't care what my intent is. It's not... It's just going to, I'm just going to use it however I intend to use it. But the living word discerns the thoughts and intents of my heart. He discerns all. And that's not just a small matter that he discerns. He discerns everything I am thinking. I'm not trying to preach our experience here, but um, having had the experience recently of having a new baby in the family, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes what what that baby's thinking you know I, I think he's always thinking how much he loves his granddaddy but you know that's that's what i think but uh but you know there's sometimes he doesn't smile at me sometimes i try to play with him and uh you know i was trying to do something the other day and made him cry <laughs> you know so uh you know sometimes he looks away and he's you know i'm trying what is he thinking well the living word knows exactly what he's thinking. Even though he can't necessarily form a thought like we do, he doesn't have the language to, to do it. He knows, God knows exactly what he's thinking. When John the Baptist leaped for joy in the womb of his mother, God knew exactly what he was thinking. He's the living word. You see, he didn't have to have the written word or the preached word to come to him in his mother's womb and somehow get him to make a decision for Christ, to make a decision to accept that and believe that word or to hear it before he could be born again. He was just born again like that. God knew what he was thinking, if you can call it thinking. But he knew the thoughts. He was a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, probably the most famous place we always go to is Psalm 139, where we read this in Psalm 139 and verse 1, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. He didn't say, O Scriptures, you've searched me and known me. <laughs> o Preacher, you've searched me and known me. No, O Lord. Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. That kind of reminds me of the verses we're using for our text tonight, doesn't it? It says that it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whatever this Word of God is, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It tells me right here that that's the Lord. 
who understands your thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, oh, but, oh, but lo, O oh Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Who's the searcher of the hearts? Who's the trier of the reins? Who's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart? It's not the Bible. It's not the written word. It's the living word. By the way, the purpose of the written word is not to bring life. It's not to bring immortality. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8 says that the purpose of the gospel is something different. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8 uh, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, the good news, according to the power of God, okay, who hath saved us. By the way, you notice it didn't say, be thou partaker of the, the afflictions of the gospel that has saved us. It's be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us. It's God who saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's the sovereign grace of God there. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. All the purposes of God of eternal salvation were made manifest when Jesus Christ came, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what the gospel does. The gospel does not bring life in immortality. The gospel brings life in immortality to light, you see. That's the purpose of the gospel. And when we were down at Five Mile, when our dear friend, Elder Martin Agnani, was here, he preached from this passage. And he said this, I wrote it down. He said, how sad it is that men have given the power of the living word to the written word. <laughs> That's happened in so many places in the world. It's happened even, as I said, among some of our Calvinist brethren out there that believe in the doctrine of election but believe that the, the gospel is the power of God unto eternal salvation, unto regeneration. That's not the power that's given to the gospel. Men have taken the power of the living word and ascribed it to the written word. But, beloved, these verses right here tell us that it's the living word that's alive and powerful and piercing and discerning, you see. Jesus is the living word. And as we continue here, just to give us a few more context clues, verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Notice the use of his and him in reference to the subject. You know, if you go diagram a sentence, I hated doing that, but if you, <laughs> we used to have to do it. I don't know if they even do it anymore in, in school, but uh, if you diagram a sentence, you got a, you got a uh, subject and a predicate, okay? you got to figure out what that subject noun is. Well, the subject noun here is the Word of God, okay? He's still talking here in verse 13, and he says, In reference to that Word of God, which is the subject, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. He's using pronouns that denote that this isn't just some neutral party. That's a masculine pronoun. His sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
The language of verse 13 describes only one. That is, God, or in this case, God the Son, the living Word, you see. And notice what it says about Him. It says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. That is, there's nothing hidden from Him. There's, there's no creature that may slither off or go off and hide somewhere you know i think about this a lot brother buddy when i'm there were two there were two different uh situations uh, in my time as a prosecutor where someone disappeared and we never found found their body or found out where they were that's always bothered me a little bit because it felt like we kind of failed in those cases in one case we were able to charge somebody with their death in another case nobody was ever charged person that I think did it ended up dying of cancer a few years later but uh, but that always bothered me but you know what comforted me the fact that there's no creature there's no person there's no missing person there's no person on a milk carton no no person whose photograph is up in the post office or in any bulletin board in any police station that says missing there's no person that the Lord doesn't know where they are. There's no creature that's not manifest. It's as if a light's shining on that person, right? Right now, even though we, we don't know. I saw a movie one time about, I can't remember all the details, but it was essentially about a man who disappeared, a husband, father, young children, a beautiful wife. He disappeared. And, and the whole movie was about the aftermath of his leaving them, running off, as they thought. And they just assumed, the wife assumed, and everybody assumed he left for some other woman and he, was, he just abandoned his family and so forth. And about 20 years later, they started putting in a subdivision next door to the house that had, in an area that had been wooded. And when they start digging in this subdivision, they found a little hole out there that was deep as an old well and they found the body of that man that they thought had abandoned his family. And the movie was about how they had had to deal with it, all the issues they had, thinking they'd been abandoned, and now finding out, of course, that he had just lost his life, and nobody knew where. God knows. God knew exactly where he was. God knows exactly where everybody, there's no creature that's not manifest in his sight, and all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This Bible doesn't have eyes, but the living word does. There's no limit to his knowledge. There's no limit to his power. There's no limit to his power. Our God is in the heavens, the psalmist says. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm 115 and verse 3. Isaiah tells us about this God. In Isaiah chapter 46, he says in verse uh, uh, nine, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. <laughs> Isaiah 40 and verse 28, I love this. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. There is no limit to his knowledge or his power. And based on this, look at verse 14. 
Based on this, there's no reason for us not to hold fast. Listen to what he says. Seeing then. Now, if you told me that he's talking about the written word, you know, maybe it gives me a little comfort knowing there's some truth in here, but it doesn't give me any kind of encouragement or any kind of incentive to do what he's about to tell us to do if it's just the written word. You know, they've taken and corrupted the written word, but men can't corrupt the living word. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Remember what we said that for was there to give us a transition into why that we ought to hold on and not let these things slip and, and, and not fail to enter into the rest. Seeing then, because of this, because this Word of God is the living Word that's quick and powerful and piercing and discerning and dividing, because of this, let's hold fast our profession. Because you see, based on the object of the gospel being the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word, there's no reason for us not to hold fast. And in case that's not enough, he goes on to give us another little for here. He said, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Sometimes we, I think of God as this frowning figure seated on the throne of heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to zap me when I, when I mess up, you know. And sometimes that's the way I feel. Sometimes I feel like it's, um, you know, I'm just struggling to do right and the Lord is just waiting there to, 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 to take me to task, to take me to the woodshed. And he sometimes takes me to the woodshed. But you know, my daddy used to tell me when he'd take me to the woodshed, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You know, I believe there's a sense in which that's true with God. Because he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He tells us that back then. I don't think he's talking about necessarily the wicked who are reprobate. Sometimes we do things that bring death in our lives. God doesn't take pleasure in that. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us. He's forgotten our sins. He's put them behind him. He's blotted them out as a thick cloud. He's buried them in the depths of the sea. And he's not just this austere Zeus-like figure sitting up on the throne on Mount Olympus that has no idea what we're going through. You see, there's another reason we can hold fast to this profession. It's because we've got somebody that knows what we're going through. I don't care what you're dealing with tonight. I don't care what you've dealt with this week. I don't care what you're going to deal with next week. There's nothing you have ever dealt with or ever will deal with that God doesn't get it. He gets it. You may not, your wife may not get it. Your husband may not get it. Your children may not get it. There may not be nobody in the world that gets it. But God gets it. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. How many times do you get it wrong? I'm not asking for a show of hands because if I ask for a show of hands, my, both my hands would be up. I can't, I, don't, I can't count that high. seems like I always get it wrong. Jesus got it right. He got it right. And because he got it right, 
even in the midst of all the wrong of this world and the struggles of this world, he can identify with your struggle. He got it right, though. You know, I like to, when I go to look at around me and, and I'm struggling with something, I want to find somebody that did better than me. And maybe I can learn something from them. Maybe I can, maybe I can take some in, inspiration from them. Well, Jesus is the one that got it right in every case. He was tempted like us, but he didn't give in to it. He was hungry like we are. He was more hungry than I've ever been. I've never gone 40 days and 40 nights without eating. I hadn't hardly gone 40 minutes without eating. <laughs> but I tell you this, Jesus did, and the devil tempted him and said, turn these rocks to bread, and he could have. <laughs> Jesus could have done it. He had the power. He said, I'm not going to do it. I don't have to prove anything to you. <laughs> he said, come on, Mr. Jesus. Show everybody who you are. Jump down off the top of this temple. You know, I like for people to know who I am. Don't you? He said, show them who you are. Jump down. He said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> he said, you can have everything you ever wanted. Everything there is in this world to give, you can have it. I've got it right here. The kingdoms, the, 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 the kings, the queens, the lands, the material, everything. And you don't even have to suffer for it. You don't have to go to the cross. You just have it. He said, I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. I'm not going to take your temptation. You know how many times I've given in to all of those. But Jesus didn't. He got it right. Even though he was tempted just like me and you, he was without sin. He is touched by what we're dealing with. He said, let us therefore. You know, he identifies with our situation. And he invites us to fellowship with him. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I know there's a judgment seat. I know that. There's a throne of judgment. I think about that throne of judgment probably more than I should. But you see, the throne that he invites us to come to as his children, not in order to become his children, but as his children already, is the throne of grace. I don't know about you. I need grace. James tells us he giveth more grace. I need his eternal grace, but I need grace now. David said, I had fainted if I had not thought to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Here and now, I need his grace. He says, come to my throne. I get it. I know what you're going through. I've been through everything you have and worse. And I've got grace to help you in your time of need. You see... He was forsaken. He endured it all. He went all the way. He, in some form or fashion, was separated from the very Godhead. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But because he did all that, we'll never be separated from him. Throne of grace, the place where Jesus now sits, is a place of constant invitation, constant availability to the child of God. Because of all of this, Let's just hold fast our profession. Don't let it slip. Don't let it slip. Hang on to it. Don't go back to the altars of the world. Stay at the throne of grace, and he will give you grace to help in time of need. I appreciate your kind attention tonight. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you, and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. 
If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.